1: Live from Las Vegas, it's Cover It with Teddy Covers.
2: Welcome to Cover It with Teddy Covers here on SiriusXM, channel 204. The Sports Grid, a radio network. Over the course of the next two hours, we're going to break down, let's see, NBA playoffs. We're going to talk MLB. I've got multiple guests. Aaron Bruski going to join me, hour number one. Brian Leonard. Going to join me, hour number two. We're going to talk a little bit of poker. We're going to talk a little bit of Vegas life. Let me start right there. When it comes to Vegas life and Vegas lifestyle, because I was out and about the last couple of days. uh, I've been on the strip, Planet Hollywood, Bellagio's over at the Link, uh, over at the Stratosphere, down to Mandalay Bay. Been out and about on the strip basically the last couple of days, uh, out in the poker rooms. And I'll tell you what. Vegas is absolutely hopping right now. Uh, It was jam-packed last night, the night before. The poker rooms filled. The casinos filled. The streets filled. The busker's out. Vegas feels like Vegas right now. No question about it. In a way that is very real and very different from any way that it's been uh, over the last year plus since the beginning of this COVID. So... It's good to be out and about in my hometown. Obviously, I've lived in Vegas now 23 years. And to see Vegas come back the way that it has. I mean, I'm not talking busy. I'm talking packed. We're talking traffic jams up and down the strip. We're talking wait lists for all the poker rooms. We're talking casinos that are full, legitimately full for the first time since uh, the beginning of March 2020. It's a lot of fun. And of course, you know, out at the poker room, no, I didn't have any good, I don't have any good poker stories uh from the last couple of nights my buddy comes in every year for the world series of poker he actually finished uh he got a i think 13th uh, in the senior event was that 2019 uh so he came to the last two tables in the senior and i cashed in that tournament as well that was my first world series of poker cash and that was certainly a benefit of turning 50. <laughs> you yeah. know uh when you're on the wrong side of 50 at least you get to play in the wsop world series of Poker. Senior event tournament. And considering the competition at the World Series of Poker, I mean, it's tough. It is legitimately the best poker players in the world. The senior event's easier. And <laughs> uh, that's uh, putting it uh, politely. You know, there, there are weaker players in the senior event. Flat out, there's more dead money in the senior event. It was a, uh, you know, and not for any poker tournament. I know this is a sports betting show, but it's a gambling show. (laughs) And for any poker tournament, luck's going to be your number one factor. You know, if you get the key cards and the key hands at the key times, it goes a long way towards having a successful tournament run. But in the senior event of the World Series of Poker, it's not necessarily about having the best cards. Uh, It's about being able to make moves against players that won't recognize those moves. So, anyhow, my buddy had a real good run in that tournament. I, too, finished in the money. That's my only World Series of Poker cash over the years. Not that I played in a ton of World Series tournaments, but I played enough that it was time to to get a cash. Uh, So, I don't even remember. I finished 800th or 900th or something in that range. My buddy, again, uh, topped the final two tables uh, of that senior event. And certainly, uh, I've won my way into the World Series of Poker. That's always fun. Uh, That's... One of the best things, of all the poker stories I have, the the, the best one might be the first time I ever won my way into the World Series of Poker. This is how long ago it was. Binions still had the World Series of Poker. (laughs) All right, it was downtown. Uh, It was before it moved to the Rio, before Binions sold it. It was when Binions was still a relevant casino. Now, not that Binions is completely irrelevant, but Binions is just considered as one of the other Fremont Street casinos. It's not Circa. It's not the Nugget, it's, oh yeah, uh, Binion's, it's, you know, third choice (laughs) at best downtown. Uh, But back in the day, when Binion's hosted the World Series of Poker, for at least six weeks or so, in May and June, (laughs) Binion's was the center of the poker universe. And the first time I won my way in, it's got to be, I don't know, 2002, 2003, it's not like I was a great No Limit player, I wasn't. Really didn't know what I was doing. I made a huge all-in bluff. (laughs) Uh, And spent, I don't know, the guy spent about eight minutes staring me down and finally uh, laid his hand down. And that gave me enough chips to basically fold my way in uh, in one of these uh, big uh, multiplayer tournaments that offer seats. I think they were giving out eight seats in that tournament. The fact that I won that big pot at 6 o'clock in the morning or whatever it was after playing the night before uh, allowed me to fold my way in and get one of those final seats. And of course, how does it play out? Yes, I was a sports better back then. I'm up till 6 in the morning winning a seat that I wasn't even necessarily planning on playing in. What happens? Well, I got radio at 7 a.m. I had to go home, pretend like I knew what I was talking about. I've been up all night, handicap a whole bunch of baseball games on air, and then... Try to get a nap in and get back because the tournament started noon that day. No, I didn't play my best poker in that first World Series appearance. Not even close, but winning that seat, making that huge bluff at 5 a.m. in the morning, it was one of those nights in Las Vegas that I will always, always remember. Good luck if you're out there trying to qualify for the World Series of Poker. This year, they're talking that the tournament has not officially been scheduled yet, They're talking that this year, they're going to have it in September. When we come back, enough with the poker talk. Let's talk with Aaron Baruski. NBA playoff discussion on deck. Covering continues.
0: Just a good old boy, never meaning no harm. Be told you never saw, been in trouble with the law since the day they were born.
2: Welcome back to Covering with Teddy Covers here on SiriusXM, channel 204. Sports Grid, a radio network. And I'm excited to bring in our first guest today from hoop-ball.com. Hoopball.com, Aaron Brewski. Aaron's been on the show before. He is a legitimate NBA insider, and we're excited to have him on the show today to break down the NBA playoffs at AaronBrewski.com. That's A-A-R-O-N-B-R-U-S-K-I. Ski with an I. I'm, of course, Svransky with a Y and my last name. Aaron, welcome to the show, my friend. How are you today? I'm great.
1: I I love being on the show with you, Teddy. We we really talk hoops here, so uh, I appreciate that. And and it's funny because Congrats congrats on your streak, man I I think I saw that flash by me You had a big old streak the other day
2: Yeah, yeah, I won won 16 uh, baseball games in a row Uh, And then, oh, the the 17th killed me, dude It just killed me Uh, I had an over, they had 400 chances to to get over the total And of course, it didn't happen The streak did end at 16 Nonetheless, it's been a pretty good baseball season I got no complaints, the clients have no complaints And I really appreciate uh, the kudos on that, Aaron But unfortunately, that's in the rearview mirror now it was nice while it lasted, uh, but uh, now it's back to the grind in MLB baseball. Now, Aaron, we, I had you on, I think I had to be February, March, and I thought we had a really good discussion talking about some of the concepts for the NBA, ways that bettors can approach the association, teams and roles that work together, to roles that don't work, uh, and I really wanted to have you back on. I'm glad I got you here uh, now that we're down to eight teams remaining in the NBA postseason. And uh, let's just, I guess let's start just breaking it down. Uh, We have today on Saturday the Utah Jazz and the LA Clippers. This one (laughs) is likely to be fun. Looking at the betting markets right now, I'm seeing the Clips mostly four, four and a half point favorites. Uh, It is a split line as we speak. Don't know yet which way it's going to close. Whether We'll see uh, Clipper money or Jazz money between now and tip off. But uh, right now, if you want to back the Jazz, you can find minus fours. If you want to take, sorry, if you want to back the Clippers, you can find minus fours. If you want to take the Jazz, you can pl- find plus uh, four and a halfs. Total sitting in the 223 range. And of course, we've got Utah up two to nothing on LA. A couple of compelling games to open the series. Uh, Utah surviving up blown what were they up? Was it 19 or 21. Uh, the Jazz were up, uh, and they ended up falling behind the Clips, and then Joe Ingles made all the plays down the stretch uh, for Utah to get them the win and cover. Now we're looking at Game Three. Let's start with this, and of course, from a series price perspective, we're talking about the Jazz right now, it's basically four-dollar favorites, four and a quarter. Some places minus four fifty. With most series, a team's up two nothing, you're going to see a higher price tag. Uh, than that, especially if that team gets Game 7 at home. But we saw the betting markets give the LA Clippers a whole lot of respect, even down 0-2 against the Mavs. So let's start with this, Aaron. I've just given a very long intro on a game and a series. Let's start with your thoughts on Game Number 3 and perhaps your thoughts on the series as a whole, if the Clips are still alive to make a comeback against Utah.
1: Yeah, you know, there's a lot of respected voices in the betting world that like the Clippers. I don't know if they like them as much down 2-0, but they really like them after game one. Um, I actually went and I grabbed that three and a half open uh, on the Clippers. Because I do think that, you know, when you have Kawhi Leonard, uh, that that's sort of the trump card with, with this team. Like, they, they have seen Donovan Mitchell go off against them. Um, Kawhi... Has done his part to hold things together. Um, you know, he's the kind of player that can just change the dynamic of a game. And you expect him to do that at some point in time of the series. And he hasn't quite done it yet, mostly because the Jazz are better. You know, I, I think when we look at the Jazz, they're an iteration or two, or even three, if you get Mike Conley back better than this Clippers squad. After Paul George and Kawhi. I mean, you've got guys like DeMarcus Cousins and Pat Beverly playing like 36 minutes between the two of them in Game 2. These guys don't belong on the floor in a playoff game. Uh, Marcus Morris getting something like 37 minutes, I think it was, in, in Game 2. I mean, that's a total gift for the opposition. And it just comes down to depth. Serge is not there. Ivica Zubac has been played off the floor for the most part. Um, you know, so Kawhi and, and Paul George, in order to beat this Jazz team, if they're playing moderately well, they both have to be really good, and and we've seen Paul George be okay, and we've seen Kawhi, you know, be pretty good, but they just haven't had that that big moment yet where they are both better than the Jazz. And I think in Game Three, you know, you're going to see them throw everything out there. I think you'll see guys like Terrence Mann, you know, play in that game uh, to try to combat some of what Donovan Mitchell is doing out there. Um, you know, the Jazz have shot a little bit too rich uh, in this series. Uh, Their role players are like 21 to 33, um, are the numbers that are sticking in my head right now. Um, so they just have to claw back a little bit. And, and I don't know. I, I mean, the, the line doesn't look like Mike Conley coming back for this game. Um, but if he does come back, that might actually be a, a neutral event uh, just because of the assimilation. Um, but, Yeah. For this game, I, I think that you know this is where we're going to see the Clippers at their best, and I think you're going to see Kawhi try to take over early in this game. So I actually like um, the Clippers, and I like the under two because I think the game will slow down a little bit, and I think that the um, you know the focus on Kawhi offensively will turn towards isolation, and and with all of the the rich shooting, I think that these guys got to start missing a
2: little bit at this point in time. Well, I mean, when the Jazz are hitting threes, they are. I'm not going to say unbeatable. But Utah wins. (laughs) You know, where they have multiple guys, like they did in Game 3, where you know Ingles was hitting, Donovan Mitchell was hitting threes, and then Jordan Clarkson nailed six of them. Um, And with Yang, with O'Neal, with Bogdanovich, they have a bevy of perimeter shooters. And when they get three or four guys all hitting on the same night, I'm going to say they're unbeatable, but they're pretty close. The Clips... Sorry, go on. Yeah. Yeah, what's what's
1: crazy is, um, you know, that's without Mike Conley. You know, you throw Conley in there, and and I know I just said it would be a neutral event, but still, I mean, it could easily be a very positive event for the Jazz. You just don't know until they play. Um, But Donovan Mitchell has complete command of the passing game. You cannot double him. He has these hook passes with both hands that can get through any sort of trap that you throw at him, and all of those guys spot up very well. They both drive off of the three-point line. Really, really well. It, it's tough to beat those guys um, when they're hitting their threes. And in this last game too, they had 76 field goal attempts, and 40 of them were three pointers. So over half of their shots were from deep, and and they still had that kind of production um, even with the low field goal total. So yeah, that's a very dynamic offense. And then of course their defense ain't half bad either.
2: Sure, sure, and certainly from a pace standpoint, you know, you talk about the Clips uh, only 85 shot attempts in game number two uh, the jazz only 76 shot attempts in game number two it wasn't like the game was played with any kind of real pace but the offensive efficiency numbers really high for both teams which allowed 228 points to be scored in that game you said you lean under for game three I certainly wouldn't talk out of that one either from a pace standpoint this these two teams are not a flying up and down the floor. And from an offensive execution or efficiency standpoint, I'll tell you what, (laughs) Uh, we're talking about two teams that have been very offensively efficient thus far, but that's not something we can count on being quite so efficient moving forward. We're just getting started right now with Aaron Bruschi. I've got so much more to ask him about the Clips Jazz. We're going to get into the Nets-Bucks Game 4 showdown on Sunday, and of course, We've got Sixers Hawks and Suns Nuggets to talk about. Stay tuned. Coverage continues after these brief commercial minutes. We're talking NBA Playoffs with the founder of HoopBall.com, that would be Aaron Brewski. And Aaron, someone who, (laughs) a fan of my heart because he watches NBA every single night just like I do. He's watched all these playoff games and he's got a pretty good read on a fair few series. So Aaron, before the break we were talking about the Clippers and the Jazz. We both said we're looking at the Clips as the way to go for Game 3. We're both interested in the under in game three as well. When it comes to the series price for the Clippers and the Jazz, you talked about the respect in the betting markets that the Clippers have gotten and continue to get. They bounce back from 2-0 against Dallas. They bounce back from three to two down against Dallas. Winning the you want to talk the must-win games of the series. You're down 0-1 at home, and you lose game two. That's your, the must as must-win as it gets. A 2-2 series. Uh, They weren't at home. Um, uh, They were at home in game two. A 2-2 series returning home. And they lose that game at home as well. And yet still found a way to win the series. So now it's a Clippers team that once again is facing real adversity. Down 0-2. Is now the time to make a bet on the Clips? Plus 325. Plus 350. uh, If you shop around. Is this team legitimately alive? You talked about Terrence Mann. As being a guy that the Clips could potentially get something from in game four. Rondo? <laughs> I mean, who do they have they can, that they can turn the tide uh, of this series with? I, I mean, it comes back to Kawhi. I, I really, I mean, I, this series has been a, cr-
1: a pretty easy read for me, I feel like, because you just see this slightly better than the um, Clippers' execution out of every guy down the roster, you know, and it, and it comes back to Donovan Mitchell, I think. And so it's kind of the goal uh, before I get into Mitchell, just the, the big thing I'm always asking myself is the number good. And can they actually win? Um, yeah. You know, the number is really good for the Clippers right now. I see plus 400 over here. Um, the, but the, I just don't think they can win this thing. And I, and I like everything about them heading into the series. Like you mentioned, they've come back. They've been on the other side of it last year they are like an underdog team right now that's sort of banding together, you know, pandemic, Paul, and, you know, all that stuff. Like, it, it feels like they're <laughs> that us-against-the-world mentality. And you saw Paul George actually answer in, in Game 2 uh, after a tough shooting game in Game 1. Um, so I like the dynamic there. You know, they do have... You mentioned Rajon Rondo. I'm not playoff Rondo guy. I kind of think that he gets a pass on every mistake he makes. But, you know, the... Um, <laughs>
2: The, Neither is Ty Lue, for what it's worth. Yeah, yeah Rondo, DMP coach's decision.
1: <laughs> that was very interesting, and and I thought that was a smart move. Um, but you know, they've got man, they can throw in there. They could throw Rondo in and, and hope he gets hot, because you know, Rondo just goes out there and he makes stuff happen. You know, if you bet on him on a hot day, you might get something there. But at the end of the day, what we're watching out of Donovan Mitchell is a player that is entering that top three, top five discussion. top players in the nba he can control the game with the dribble he can control the game with the pass he can control the game with the shot he can elevate i mean he can defend it's really fun to watch him step into this greatness and and really not get the credit that he would um you know normally deserve if it was a different situation he's kind of like just a guy on, on the jazz team for many people um but he can outplay Kawhi, and if that's the case, then really Los Angeles has no chance. And, and that's just because when you go down the roster, again, you know, Boyan Bogdanovich, Joe Ingles, you know, these guys, Royce O'Neal, these are quality pros that play their role, that can defend, that can, you know, give you something at every position. And you got guys on that Clippers side that just can't say that. Morris is, is kind of at the end. You know, um, the no Serge Ibaka thing is, is really critical and, and you know, kind of all those things we mentioned before. I just don't see it. So, I'm personally, I love the number. That's great. It's a great number for a team of the quality of the Clippers. But I just like the Jazz that much more. So, I personally won't do it. Should somebody else do it? Like I said, the money is really good.
2: <laughs> so, I mean, let's talk about Serge Ibaka for a minute. Is this a injury that has legitimately affected the Clippers' chances? Because I never looked at Ibaka – for this team, now in Toronto, is a different story. But for this team, I always viewed him as a third fiddle, a fourth fiddle. He wasn't an impact player uh, for the Clips. Is his absence that huge? And of course, when you're talking about a Clips team that just got a big night from Reggie Jackson, including a couple of huge fourth quarter threes, you know, Cousins was productive. Batum was productive. Um, it, when it comes down to how much better can Kawhi play or how much better can Paul George play, if you're asking those two guys to carry more of a load for the Clips, I don't know that that's going to be a recipe for covering minus four, minus four and a half in game number three. Uh, this, what do you this,
1: think? Is, this is a bet on Kawhi. And and I've been um, going smaller on my bets against Kawhi in this series. Um, and I even didn't take Utah in game two um, out of respect for Kawhi. Um it, I'm even concerned. I'm even concerned about Reggie Jackson. He, he's shooting a little too rich right now. He, he's made about fifty-five, sixty percent of his threes over the last four to five games. So, so he's about to, to hit a regression. I'm, I'm looking at Kawhi though, and, and thinking he hasn't controlled the tempo of the game in the way that he is capable of doing it. I think at home it will be easier. I think um, the energy of that game. Will um, you know? Probably let the referee, the let the referees will probably let him play the way he wants to play with a little bit more of the offensive charges and things like that. It it, it really is a respect for him. And and again, I think you're going to see these role players for the Jazz fall back in their shot making and um, the intensity you'll see out of the Clippers, as well as maybe a little bit of letting off from the Jazz. They're they're not um, immune from from playing poorly. I mean we saw him play a little bit poorly against Memphis. Um, you know, Rudy is and, and and kind of back to your question about like Serge Ibaka, you get one defensive guy that that has an issue with something and the other team can exploit that over and over again. You're seeing that with Ivica Zubac. He's a guy they typically yeah. want to have on the floor, but they can't have him on the floor because he's just getting killed in the pick and roll. And Serge Ibaka would be just a little bit better against that. Rudy, it's the same thing. You know, he's a great defender, defensive player of the year, but there are certain configurations that the Clippers go small that he can get burnt, and so you throw in a little bit of lack of defensive efficiency and all those other factors, and Kawhi steps up. That's why I got the Clippers in this one. It won't be a big bet, but, but, it'll, but, but I do
2: like them a lot. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, for what it's worth from a statistical standpoint, From game two, you always like to look at things that, you know, is that going to repeat? Utah, only two offensive rebounds and only 15 assists on their 42 made baskets. They shot 53, 55% from the floor, 51% from three. Those are numbers, given the rest of the stats, likely to go in the wrong direction. What's it? Regression to the mean (laughs) in uh, game number three. Uh, And, of course... You know, when you talk about the some of that uh, shooting. The crazy thing about Reggie Jackson, led the Clips in scoring, right? Hit 11 of uh, 19 from the floor, 4 of 8 from three-point range. And yet, they had a negative point differential when Reggie Jackson was on the floor. Man, we spent a lot of time talking about the Jazz and the Clippers. We got so much more to talk about. Let's start with the Nets and the Bucks Game 3. Three reminded me of the, was it the game seven that John Starks missed all, missed all those shots against the Rockets? And, and, the, <laughs> and the Rockets couldn't take advantage. I forget if it was game six or game seven. I'm glad you, you could think of That's,
1: something because I don't think I've seen a game like, that, like
2: that, you know? that. That was the one that it reminded me of, where it's just brick on the one end and brick on the other end and brick on the other end and brick on the other end for halves at a time. Uh, Knicks-Rockets was the one that started, reminded me. Nonetheless, these are two great shooting teams in Milwaukee and Brooklyn, and they combined to produce 169 points and stay, what, 60-something points under the total in game number three. (laughs) Game four, Brooklyn, minus one, minus one and a half total, sitting at 229. And, of course, you know, the question is James Harden, will he be able to shoot up or not for Brooklyn? I'm not convinced It'll make a huge. It'll make a big difference in the point spread if Harden suits up. Is it going to make a big difference on the floor if Harden suits up? Because you talked about some of these guys. Like if Mike Conley comes back for the first game, that's not necessarily a plus for Utah. We saw that with the 76ers and Rudy Go- uh, 76ers and Joel Embiid coming back and then not having a real good game one happens all the time. The star comes back, everyone else relaxes. We got about a minute before the break. Start talking Nets and bucks for me. Yeah,
1: okay, so that was the weirdest game I've covered, I think, all year. I I mean, this is two running teams that both decided at the same time that they wanted to walk it up. And, I mean, you got the the Nets could have thrown the hammer down and gone up 3-0. And when they push, it's hard to cover them. I mean, they just have so many shooters. And they had no rhythm as a result of all of this. And I don't know if that's the bigger sin, or if on Milwaukee's side when you have Giannis on the court and everybody would love for you to play in the half court with him having the ball in his hands and he shoots 25 times or whatever the number was, and they don't run at all, and both teams are shooting whatever they were shooting, it was like 38% or something. And neither of them thought that that was a bad idea. They just kept going with it. Um, you know, So I know we're up against the break here. I, I actually really like this game to bet. Game four, let's talk about it after the break. Yeah,
2: well, (laughs) let's leave them hanging. You gotta make them stick around. (laughs) I got an opinion on this game as well, so both Aaron and I will share our game four thoughts for Brooklyn Milwaukee. Don't you worry, we're not gonna dawdle, we're not gonna make you sit around for an hour, but we'll do it right after the break. Stay tuned. We are talking NBA playoffs with legitimate expert Aaron Bruski from HoopBall.com. That's Hoop-Ball. Of course, you can follow him on Twitter, at Aaron That's with an I, as opposed to my name, Savransky, with a Y. But no one calls me Savransky anyway. It's Teddy Covers, and I've learned to live with it. It rolls off the tongue a whole lot easier. We're talking Nets and Bucks. And talking about some of the really ugly shooting and the slow pace from game number three. And again, it's now three straight games for Milwaukee where the three-point shooting has been not just cold, ice cold. Six of 31 from beyond the arc. And you can't tell me it's the Nets' defense. It's not like Brooklyn has suddenly figured out a way to dominate uh, on the perimeter defensively the way, let's say, Philadelphia has done uh, all season. The crazy thing for Milwaukee, all right, Giannis hit 14 shots. Chris Middleton hit 12. As a team, they made 34 shots for the entire game. That means the rest of the team, other than Giannis and Chris Middleton, combined to hit eight shots for the entire game. That's a team they have to play better in game four, don't they? Or is this just a story that, they, the Bucs got their win, we saw the Nets go up 2-0 against Boston, and they ran into a uh, Jason Tatum game in Game 3, and then proceeded to win Game 4 and close out the series in Game 5. Was that the Bucks' last hurrah, or does Milwaukee still have more in the tank? What do you say, Aaron? You know, I, we've been following a
1: guy named Dante DiVincenzo all season, so closely over mm-hmm. at hoop Ball for various reasons. He was one of our highly touted Dives for the year statistically and defensively, he is a key to their team, and he's gone. And this was a team that was thin with him, and I think we're finally seeing them pay the price for that. Um, now, I've mentioned his defense, um, and you know, they just scored something like 169 points combined or something. So, again, it wasn't about the defense there. It was about both teams really having no good game plan for that game. And again, it, it's such an outlier. I mean, it started at a 240 total for game one, and it went down. And it went down again, and <laughs> it was like, okay, so um, you know, what, at what point in time do we see the real Mets and, and the real Bucks? And then it didn't happen. Um, so I mean, the Bucks—they have talent, uh, but there's there's some serious question marks here. Brooke Lopez, yeah, he went one for seven. Yeah, he'll probably shoot better. He had six blocks. He was good defensively for them, but he is getting murdered in drop coverage. And Kevin Durant struggled against. Basically shooting against thin air, he, he bricked about five straight shots that he would normally just make. Um, so, Brook Lopez, while you might say, "Hey, he could improve," he actually could get played off the floor. I think you'll actually see Bobby Portis. In fact, he's a guy that you know you're looking at a player prop, and I don't know what the number is out there for him. It's probably nothing. You know, I think that's a guy they might bring on the floor as an adjustment if and when Brook Lopez starts getting killed on that stuff. But they don't have any other moves here. You know, they can't bring in Pat Connaughton and expect much out of him. They can't bring in Bryn Forbes. And yeah, Bryn Forbes shot the lights out in the previous series. That doesn't mean that he can defend, and it doesn't mean that he's going to sit out there and do it again. Um, I think they're in deep trouble here. When you get Giannis' statistical output, 33-14, and, and and yeah, it was inefficient from 3-8 attempts, wow. You know, Chris Middleton basically hit 50% of his shots. Drew Holiday kind of right where he normally is. The point total was low, but, you know, he was doing a lot defensively. And and you, you look at those three and you're like, they're tapped out. You know, they can't really be that much better than you look over at the net side and you're like, Joe Harris, one of 12. And almost all of them were wide open. So I think the regression for the net, that's common. I think you're looking at 110, 120 points out of those guys, unless. They thought, for some good reason, it was smart to lock the ball up, and and I just can't figure out why they do it in Game Three. So it makes me think that maybe they 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 want to do it again in Game Four. So I'm pretty gun shy on the total side of this, but but I think that the Nets win this thing, and I think they win it big.
2: Well, Aaron, you and I got to disagree on something, but it's not this game. They don't have to disagree on anything. Uh, from a total standpoint, I, can't, I, I wouldn't touch it with a 10-foot pole. I have no idea what the pace is going to be. And I, I wonder, you know, it's not like Nash has been in these spots as a coach a whole lot before. So it's not like we know how he's going to play it. But from a side standpoint, I mean, Milwaukee got the game they needed to from Giannis. They got the game they needed to from Middleton. And they finished with 86 points. <laughs> yeah, um, they could hit threes. Yeah, they yeah. could hit threes start to finish. And again, they've been ice cold from from beyond the arc. And if Forbes is hitting threes and Holiday's hitting threes and whoever else is hitting threes, sure they have a chance. But by but, uh, Brooklyn, I had them big in Game Four at Boston following the Game Three loss and. I uh, got a pretty big bet uh, on Brooklyn already at minus one because I'm not convinced that line's going to hold at Milwaukee in game number four of this series. So uh, you and I in agreement on this one. Any final thoughts before we put the nets no, I just and the Bucks it here, to bed? I snorted in the microphone, laughing because of the the predicament the
1: Bucks are in and just kind of how funny that game was. So yeah, no, we're 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 on the same wavelength with that. And uh, I'll be interested to see how Steve Nash approaches it because I think that they that he let Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving dictate the pace of that game, and it's an example of superstars controlling the X's and O's on the floor. And you saw it on the other side of the floor with Giannis taking eight three pointers. So that's all I got. I thought it was funny, and I snorted in the mic. So my apologies. <laughs> <laughs>
2: that's all right. If we, hey, if we can give a the goal of the show is to give out some good information, if we can give a few laughs along the way. More power to us. Uh, We appreciate uh, all of you out there in listener land very, uh, very much. So, and again, if you like something on the show, give us a tweet at us. You can find me, Teddy underscore underscore covers, uh, on Twitter. Of course, uh, at Aaron Bruschi on Twitter. If you liked uh, what you heard, if we made you laugh, give us a comment. We really uh, appreciate it. And uh, if you get us on a good day, I might even answer back. Uh Uh-huh. Uh, Let's talk briefly uh, about the other two series. We're already getting short on time, uh, but we need to at least discuss. And I really want to do a little future book discussion. Let's start with Philly and Atlanta. All right, Who's going to win the series, and is the team that wins that series live to come out of the East, or is it Brooklyn coming out of the East? Um,
1: Brooklyn because of the aforementioned concerns and, and snickers and laughter I, i'm not convinced that they're just a flat out beat everybody winner and they have the talent to be that so this is a player development issue you know kevin durant still can't get open from overplay coverage and you know he's deep into his career he doesn't know the counters um, Kyrie has had issues with with tempo and defense and sort of understanding the flow of the game. He's, he's gotten a lot of those things fixed. So I don't think Brooklyn, um, but he still has those deficiencies, and we all know about James Harden. I just think that this might just be a little too early for this team. They haven't had a time to gel. So I think it's Philly and Atlanta. You know, this is a very interesting series. Um, Atlanta went five points in eight minutes in, four, in the fourth quarter, and my question that I don't have an answer for is did – drive up the they, they turn the screws on those guys and, and turn up the defense and that led to, to, the, to the downfall or did Atlanta just give it away and because that is a talented Hawks squad and nobody's making them pay for their, their bad defenders and Trey Young, Bogdanovich and uh, Danilo Goddard. nobody's making them pay and Philly's really not the team that can do that, you know, their guards are good don't get me wrong but most of their star players trend toward the front court, so I think this is a very close series, and I'm kind of looking at making a play in games after this game here three. Depending upon how things go, you might find that Philly has good has better numbers, you know, a, a better number to bet at. Same thing with Atlanta. Um, so it just kind of depends on how this all goes and how the money shakes out. But I mean, the key thing here is the coverage on Trey Young. Philly really got a, a, a big uh, boost from, from the Ben Simmons and, and Matisse title coverage. I wonder in Atlanta if he doesn't play the foul game a little, a little bit more, make them pay for that. So that's kind of what I'm watching there. And as far as the live wire, Philly's a live wire, and I think Atlanta has to be considered a live wire, even though I would not bet very much on them.
2: Yeah, I don't look at the Hawks as a legit contender to come out of the East. Uh, Philly's been my team from the get-go. Uh, and actually, I am I was very annoyed with myself. <laughs> After game one of the Hawks series, I, I didn't play Philly game two in the most obvious Sixers spot in the world. Uh, and I'm kicking myself for that still. Uh, but I am a Philadelphia 76ers believer. Aaron, we still got to talk Suns and Nuggets, but I want to make sure you get a chance to promote yourself before we do. Tell us about your website. Tell us about your Twitter feed.
1: Yeah, self-promotion, the lifeblood of everything. Um, the uh, website hoopdashball.com. we've been around for five-plus years now. We have a huge betting department, and so we cover all sports. You can get a wager pass um, and follow the action that way. But we do team coverage. We do a ton of fantasy, DFS, um, and, and we're looking at expanding into other sports here pretty soon. And, and the, the wagering side actually does cover all sports. So that's what's going on with us, and uh, it's a great place to go. Check us out, hoop
2: Aaron Bruschi, a good follow on Twitter as well, at Aaron Bruschi. One last series to break down. We've got just a couple of minutes to do it, so some quick thoughts. Suns and the Nuggets. Let's start with this. Either of these two teams live to win it all, to make the finals, to come out of there, to win a title, or is the Jazz Clippers winner coming out of the West? Uh, I, well, Phoenix, definitely. They're, they're, they might be. I have a ton
1: of Phoenix futures, so I'm just loving it right now. I think they've got every element of a championship team. I think done to head, I bet, on Utah, just because I think that they've got a little bit more experience, and I think they might have a little bit more talent at key positions. Um, but that would be a pick em. It's a not a pick'em, but pretty close between the two. So that speaks to how good Phoenix is. You know, Jokic, is gonna, he's going to be a top 25 player of all time. You know he's that good, and it's hard to bet against him. And, and the team's constitution. You know Michael Malone is a big time coach. They they just got a lot going for them, except for their depth right now. They're and they're starting to get dinged up. In fact, I have a huge play in for the under in this upcoming game because I think they're exhausted. Um, they they're they're, they're going to probably try to slow down that pace to keep uh, Jokic from getting too exhausted. And I think Chris Paul will try to control the pace. On the road, and and make sure that the crowd doesn't get too loud and, and slow it down for those guys. Um, the, the the Heat, probably the uh, Suns, are, are due for a little regression as well. So, I, I, I love Phoenix, though. Love, love, love Phoenix. They got great prices still. They had amazing pricing before the playoffs started. So that's where I'm at.
2: Yeah, and of course, I mean the Suns weren't supposed to get past the Lakers until Anthony Davis got hurt, and then all of a sudden the whole dynamic uh, of the Western uh, Conference changed. In a very significant way. And of course, you know, the issues with Malone calling out his team. And basically, again, reading between the lines, it sounded to me like he was particularly talking about Aaron Gordon and Michael Porter Jr. Don't know that that was the best case scenario for Denver. It was Jokic too. And, you know, I covered Michael Malone in Sacramento.
1: I actually know him pretty well. He, he has got the pulse of that team. He knew he could lay in because the facts were that those guys dogged it and they quit because of the exhaustion.
2: And I Great stuff that. from Aaron Bruski. Aaron, I don't mean to cut you off, but we're out of time, my friend. Best of luck this weekend. Coverage It continues. We're in the home stretch of hour number one here on Cover with Teddy Cover. Series XM, Channel 204, The Sports Grid, our Radio Network. You better stick around for hour number two. I'm going to be talking about all the big football contests here in Las Vegas. The Westgate Super Contest, the Circa Millions. We're going to talk about strategy, sign-ups, all of that. And then I've got Brian Leonard from Brian Leonard Sports talking MLB. And yeah, we're going to break down the world of baseball. Brian's been on quite a little baseball run of late, so I'm excited to talk about some betting strategies teams we're looking to bet on and against right now in MLB. But I want to give you guys a play. I know this isn't a pick show. It's never going to be a pick show, but I'd like to give you guys a pick uh, when I can and when it makes sense to talk about. And then the one we're going to talk about today is a game we just talked about with Aaron Bruski, the Clippers and the Jazz. The total sitting Let's call it 223. If you shop around, you can find a 223 and a half. And I'm not convinced at all that we're going to see pace in game three of this game. It's a Clips team that their offensive efficiency numbers are very, very good. But from a pace standpoint, they've been off the charts, in fact. I mean, the Clips have really been very good at maximizing their possessions. You know, they did it against Dallas. Uh, in the Game 7 against the Mavigan in each of the first two games against Utah. All that said, when you play at the pace the Clippers are playing at, you're not going to go over 223.5 a whole lot, or 223 a whole lot. And we're talking about a Clips team with their back against the wall. Yeah, we expect Kawhi to step up in the offensive end, but more than any other factor, it's a defensive issue for the L.A. Clippers. And of course, the Utah team that... If they make another 23-pointers, I don't know if this under is going to be good. <laughs> but it might be. It was like Game, three flew, or game 2 flew over, even though they made 23-pointers. It got over, but it wasn't flying over that total. And I'm not convinced Utah's going to shoot at that rate. At least not tonight. So, Jazz Clippers under. It's a bet that makes a whole lot of sense to me. It's in my pocket. If you like, it can be in yours as well.